I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. This is now the third time I'm preaching this sermon, and I have to laugh because each time there have been grumbles after that gospel passage is read. Uh, it is a harsh one, I know. <laughs> By the third time of period, I'm like, all right, we all feel the same way. And the reality is we are almost to the end of some of Jesus's most alarming parables in Matthew. So frightening that some think the ending of each is describing hell. Now that's not exactly my take on it, but I do think the ending is about final judgment. And that sounds frightening enough. Earlier in this gospel though, Jesus's parables were reassuring and hopeful. Do you remember? In them, everyone was finding treasure or pearls, seeing signs of the kingdom of God everywhere, bursting at the seams. Jesus called the crowds of people children of God. You are light, he said to them. Seeds were sown, and at the harvest, only weeds were burned. God's kingdom was rising like a delicious loaf of bread. But, as the author of Matthew rounds the corner that heads toward Jesus' crucifixion, the parables get more foreboding, as if the reality of evil has come sharply into view. By the time we get to today's gospel passage, the crowds have all left Jesus, and he has been alone with his disciples for a while. Remember, these are his closest followers, the ones who call him teacher and who, one day soon, will become teachers themselves. They come to Jesus when all the crowds leave. They're seeking understanding. What was behind all those cryptic parables about the kingdom? Jesus leans into their question gently. He reassures them that if even one sheep goes astray, the shepherd is going to go after it and bring it home. God desires no one perish. But, he reminds them, what comes out of a person is always going to be more important than what goes in. And then the teachings get a bit darker. What a disciple sows will perish or flourish based upon how each one of them uses the measure of faith they have been given. Leaders who are shown mercy but don't pay it forward, they'll be thrown into jail and tortured. Envious and lazy disciples will be sent to the back of the entry line to the kingdom of God. And those who don't come to the great feast ready to celebrate will be tossed out of the party. If you don't multiply the gifts God has given you, if you fail to do the work set before you, or you turn up empty-handed at the end of the age when your Lord returns, you'll be cut up, burned, and cast into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I bet the disciples wish they'd never asked for clarification, don't you? I'm sure they wanted to go back to those uh, parables Jesus told to the crowds, the ones about the shepherd and the sheep, you know, the Jesus who hugs the kids. We love the Jesus who teaches us how to pray. 
but what do we do with the Jesus who scares us? What do we do when his words hit us like a gut punch and set our teeth on edge? Well, this idea of teeth being set on edge is actually in our gospel passage today. The gnashing of teeth described at the end of today's parable. This comes from ancient Hebrew imagery out of the books of Job and Lamentations and some of the Psalms of Lament. Each time this phrase is used, it refers to the emotional state of the wicked and the godless. The Hebrew language uses bodily images to convey emotion. If someone snorts from their mouth or their nose, that means they're angry. If loins are spilling out, that's usually not meant to be taken literally. It means the person is distressed. Our bodies help to put words to emotions that we're feeling. Gnashing of teeth is a sign of existential pain and sorrow and envy. But Jesus speaks of a place of darkness where people weep and grind their teeth today. And this concept is mentioned only seven times in Scripture, six of which occur in this gospel. Matthew, he fixates on the phrase, includes it at the end of multiple parables, even though the Gospel of Luke only has Jesus saying this phrase one time. It's as if Matthew wants to link this series of stories together, give us a set of parables with a theme. There's not just a way into the kingdom of God, there's also a way out of it. These teeth-grinding parables are wedged around a very intense chapter of woes where Jesus is crying out in grief, declaring judgment on false religious teachers. He calls them blind guides, snakes, a brood of vipers. Matthew, more than any of the other gospels, highlights Jesus' disdain for two-faced teaching. Being a hypocrite is one sure way to be cast out instead of welcomed in. So remember, this is a time of private instruction for his disciples who will soon be commissioned to bring the good news to all the world. Jesus warns these teachers in training not to be like the Pharisees who know God's truth and even sometimes speak it but still act in ways contrary to God's value system. I think the slave who hides the coin in the dirt is meant to symbolize one such hypocrite. And I think the talents entrusted to him today in today's parable represent the kingdom of God just as the buried treasure did and the pearl did earlier in this gospel. You wicked and lazy slave, the master cries when he realizes the servant who had been entrusted with the good news didn't invest it. He hid the gospel from those who needed to hear it the most. These words are in sharp contrast to those directed at the first two slaves who doubled what the master had given them. These two invested the good news by passing it on to others, and to them the master says, enter into my joy. All the slaves in this parable are religious leaders, 
Leaders who, like me, have taken vows of obedience to God, we are servants of the kingdom of heaven. And just as I know the promises I have made to my bishop and to my God, these three servants all knew the expectations of their master. Church leaders know how the organization works. God is not the one who's going to go out and sow the seeds. God draws in the fruit of the harvest by means of hired laborers. God reaps what others sow and gathers the seeds others scatter. All the servants knew that, not just the servant who hid his talent. Teachers know their job. They are to multiply the knowledge they have been given. They are to teach so that others learn and then teach others who learn, and the cycle continues. This is how God builds the church. Investing in others is a multiplication table for a heavenly harvest. And each servant who multiplies their talents are drawn into joy. That word joy in Greek, it's etymologically connected to the word grace, the gift. Just as teaching multiplies, so do grace and joy. The signs of the kingdom are always an overflowing abundance of every good thing. The fruits of the Spirit are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness. The teachers who multiplied their talents knew this. They knew that this is who God is. Our God is a God of abundant grace and joy. That's what they taught, and that's what they reaped. You reap what you sow. But that third servant did not see God as one of grace and joy. I know you to be a harsh master, the servant says. That word harsh in Greek can also be translated as violent. Have you ever listened to a religious teacher who believes God is violent? They're pretty easy to spot, aren't they? Spewing hate and standing firmly on the back of an angry deity. This third servant is a religious leader who misuses his knowledge and power and teaches a God who is severe and vicious. The one who taught that the one who buried the kingdom of God in the ground is the one who is cast into outer darkness, the one who at the judgment is weeping and gnashing his teeth in sadness and anger and resentment for everything he had has been taken away. What do we do when Jesus scares us? We double-check who he's talking to and who he's talking about. Not every message in the Gospels is for everyone. The only news that's for everyone is the good news. The scary news, well, it's often for teachers of faith. That scary parable isn't for you, it's for me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, James writes in his epistle, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And in Luke's comparable collection of parables to today, Jesus concurs from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required, and from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. 
So if this parable is talking about any kind of hell, it's a hell for religious teachers. Jesus promises a judgment that will leave hypocritical teachers with nothing but joylessness and resentment. All those teachers who led others away from grace will be cut off from the rest and sent to the back of the line. The teachers who lived their lives as if they were meant to be first will end up being last. Hypocrites are left with nothing of value, and even what they do have will be taken away. And strangely enough, I think that last bit about what's taken away from them, that that's where some of the good news in this parable is. See, the only valuable thing a hypocrite might have gained in all their false teaching is you. Anyone who may have been drawn to the God of grace by a teacher who taught violence will be one day given to true teachers, true nurturers, to all who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. I think the abundance Jesus is talking about might be you. It's you if you're here today because you once had a religious teacher who taught you about an angry, harsh, and violent God. If that's part of your story and you're here now in a place that teaches grace, then that battle between the hypocrites and the gospel, well, in that battle the good news has won. Even if you had a teacher who buried the gospel, you went into the field and found it. You found the treasure. You found the pearl of great price. The harvest of the hypocritical has joined the harvest of the grace-filled, where everyone enters into the joy of the master together. I don't think Jesus was trying to scare anyone with these parables. I think he's just making it abundantly clear that God will leave no sheep behind, that grace will always win out, and that the lost sheep and the hidden treasures will always be found, despite the worst teachers. The kingdom is still rising like a delicious loaf of bread, and the cup of joy is overflowing.